Well, turn in your Bibles to Matthew 27, chapter 27. We're continuing our study, of course, the gospel of Matthew. Matthew presents Jesus as the king of the Jews. In fact, that's what we've been seeing all the way through. In fact, we see him as the king of kings and the Lord of lords, not only as the king of the Jews, but the king of everything. And he is, as we're in our study, we're near the end of his ministry. He's about to go to the cross to die to pay for the sins of the entire world. He's been tried by the Jews, uh, all, two, two at night, one in the morning. He's found guilty in all of those. Jesus is now uh, on the way to the Romans. And, and by the way, we're going to see this morning that Jesus stands trial before the Roman government three times. And we'll see that this morning. And we're going to see something else. Pilate offers the nation a choice. Now, the nation of Israel is out there. Here's Jesus. Basically, he says, there's a man named Barabbas or Jesus. He offers them either this man named Barabbas or this man named Jesus. And, of course, uh, the people, we're going to see that they shout, give us Barabbas and uh, crucify Jesus. These are the same people that just a few days earlier had been shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so just a few days later, they're now crying for his death. We'll see it as we go through our passage. You know, choices, we make them every day. We, some are little bitty, some are big. Some are little, like what, what clothes to wear, uh, what am I going to eat, where am I going to go. Some are bigger, like what, where do I live, what house do I live in, what job do I take, who do I marry. Think about it, this morning, uh, you had choices. You had a choice of whether, are you going to go to church or not? Are you going to stay home, watch it online? Are you going to go to church? Are you going to go to the first service? Are you going to go to the second service? Oh, we all make choices like that. And it seems like the older we get, the more and more choices we have to make. We must realize that our choices don't just affect us, as we already know from Romans chapter 14, verse 7, that no one lives to themselves. And so sometimes we think about this, that our choices affect others or ourselves. Sometimes they're good or bad. Sometimes they're short-term. Sometimes they're long-term. When we think about choices from a biblical view as far as believers, we want our choices to glorify God. We want to build up the body of Christ, and we want our choices to be very positive as we seek to live like Jesus Christ. So we have a lot of choices. Well, this morning, as we look at our passage, the nation of Israel has a choice. Pilate offers to the nation of Israel a choice between two men. One, one will be killed, and one will be set free. One's name is Barabbas, the other's name is Jesus, and the people have a choice. And we're going to see the choice they make, of course, and we know that all this is in God's perfect plan, and we'll see how it all fits together. Let me give you the passage this morning. Verses 11 through 14 is what I call the final trials. We'll see those. We'll also have to go to the Gospel of Luke. So we'll go to Luke chapter 23 in just a, just a few minutes, but just to give you a little warning there. So we're going to see the final trials, and then we're going to see the choice of the nation the nation of Israel, what did they do, and how did they do that? Let me remind you what's happened. Jesus was, this is the Mount of Olives, this is Jerusalem, there's the temple. Jesus had been in the Garden of Gethsemane, and they came and arrested him, and they took him to Annas' house. We don't know where that was. Annas was the father-in-law of the high priest, took him there first and was tried. Then they took him to Caiaphas' house and tried him there. Then early in the morning, they took him most likely up toward the Temple Mount area where the Sanhedrin would meet together, and they tried him there. So they found him guilty all three times. They've taken him now to the fortress Antonio, the fortress of Antonio. He'll stand before Pilate. Then he'll be taken over to Herod, Herod Antipas, either that palace or that palace, and then he'll be brought back to Pilate and tried. So this is what we're going to be seeing. They're taking Jesus all over the place to the trials. Three before the Jews found guilty every time. Three before the Romans found not guilty every time. And if you 
Remember the charges? The charges before the Jews were religious, that he claimed that he is God, and that's what they said. And then, but the charge before the Romans, that he's the king of the Jews. If they took him to the Romans and said he claims to be God, Romans wouldn't care. They'd say, so what? We have a lot of gods. But when they take him to the Romans, they have to say he, he says he's the king of the Jews, and that's going to try and trade to the Caesar. So we're going to see that. If you look at verse 11, it says, now Jesus stood before the governor, that's Pilate, and they take him to the headquarters. Pilate's normal place that he lived was at Caesarea. Caesarea is by the sea. It's by the Mediterranean Sea. But he's at Jerusalem, and he's at Jerusalem because this is the Feast of Passover. And this is why all the people have come into town. And so Pilate is actually staying in Jerusalem during the Passover. He's at the place called the Praetorium. This is a model. And the Praetorium was a it was a pretty good-sized building. Let me give you another shot of it this way. This is the temple, and this is the, the, the praetorium. And so the we, best we can tell is they took Jesus probably to the praetorium to meet with Pilate. It was very early in the morning. If you remember that they tried Jesus two times at night, both illegal. They tried him in the morning, and it was illegal there as well because they did, they did the sentencing and the trial all the same day. And so very early in the morning, they go to Pilate. We said that it might have been as early as 5, you know, 5 o'clock in the morning, 6 o'clock in the morning. It's just now getting light. Pilate is really upset about this because he didn't want to do anything in the morning, but they need Jesus. They need to get Jesus and get him to Pilate and get him declared to be crucified because they want to get him out crucified that day. That's the plan. And so as he comes, he's brought before Pilate. And remember we talked last week, Pontius Pilate was a bad ruler. He ruled from the year 26 AD to 36 AD. He was evil. He, there were times he killed Jewish people. There were times he actually took Roman symbols and put them in the temple, which was, of course, a horrible thing to do. He did a lot of bad things. He was removed after 10 years, so he only served for 10 years. And so notice that uh, in verse 11, again, it sounds, now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor questioned him, saying, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said to him, it is as you say. And so, as you know, we have drawn, remember, I wanted to tell you that we have these pictures. None of us think that that's Jesus. We just wanted to give you an idea of, of what it looked like. This is Pilate sitting on, a, on his, what we call the Bema seat. And he's seeing Jesus. They brought there and he's trying Jesus. So he asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said to him, it is as you say. And so they're accusing him. And you remember that Jesus was in the, in the book of Matthew, in the gospel of Matthew. He's born king of the Jews. He lives as king of the Jews. And he dies as kings of the, king of the Jews. Jesus indeed is the king of kings, the Lord of lords, and the king of the Jews. Notice it goes on to say, as while he was being accused by the chief priests and elders, he did not answer. He wouldn't answer. So they're all making all kind of accusations about him, and he doesn't answer. Pilate then, this is verse 13, Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? And he did not answer him with regard to even a single charge. So the governor was quite amazed. <clears throat> now, if you remember that if you go back to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah says, As a sheep was led to the slaughter, he opened not his mouth. Jesus didn't defend it himself. I mean, the charges against Jesus are wrong, and it's all illegal and everything, and yet Jesus doesn't defend himself because his plan is to go to the cross for each of us in this room, for every person in this world, for every person that's ever lived and ever will live. Jesus went to the cross to take the sin of mankind upon himself. 
He is the satisfactory payment, not for our sins only, but for the sins of the entire world. And that's what we see. Now, hold your place there in Matthew and turn to Luke chapter 23. You need to see this. This is pretty special. Luke chapter 23. And I've got verse 2 up there, but I'm going to start at verse 1. Luke chapter 23, verse 1 says, Then the whole body of them got up and brought him before Pilate. So here they are. They've taken him to Pilate. Look at the accusations. They begin to accuse him, saying, We found this man missing leading our nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. Well, first of all, he didn't mislead the nation. Second is he did pay his taxes. And third, he did claim, and he is the king of the Jews. And so the last one is the only one that's right. And so they're there and they bring him before Pilate. Now, Luke gives us more details than Matthew does. Look what it says. So Pilate asked him, saying, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered and said to him, it is as you say. So he said, yes. Then Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. That's a little bit strange because they're saying he's claiming to be the king. And if he's claiming to be the king, that means he's not listening to Caesar. So when Pilate hears all this, Pilate looks at Jesus and in his mind, I'm sure he says, this guy's not a king. My gracious. And so he says, I find no fault with him. I find no fault with him. He's not done anything wrong. And so Pilate said, I find no fault. But they kept on verse 5 in Luke 23. They kept on insisting, saying, he stirs up the people, teaching all over Judea, starting from Galilee, even as far as this place. When Pilate heard it, he asked, is this man a Galilean? Was he from Galilee? And when he learned that he belonged to Herod, this is Herod Antipas, I'll explain more in just a second. When he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who himself was also in Jerusalem at that time. Now, Pilate is, let let me put this up for you to give you an idea. He's going to send him to Herod. When you looked at Israel at the time of Jesus, Judea is the southern province. Pilate is the governor of Judea. There's a northern part called Galilee and then Samaria, and sometimes these are together and sometimes they're not. Well, a man by the name of Herod Antipas was the king or the ruler of Galilee. If you remember, almost all of Jesus' ministry was done in Galilee. He was born in Nazareth. His headquarters was Capernaum. He did most of his miracles and everything here. He would come down to the south to Jerusalem for certain things, but he did most of it here. When Pontius Pilate finds out that Jesus is actually from Galilee, he says, wait a minute, I'm okay here. Herod Antipas, that's his region. I'll send him to Herod, and I'll let Herod deal with him, not me. Now, let me remind you of Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas was the son of Herod the Great. Herod the Great was the king that when Jesus was born, he's the man, Herod, who killed all the little boy babies when Jesus was born. This is his son. When Herod the Great died, everything was divided on to, to four of his sons. So Herod Antipas got one-fourth of the kingdom. He's sometimes called a tetrarch, which means he ruled a fourth of the old kingdom. Now, Herod Antipas was, and I I mentioned him last week, he was a strange person and an evil person. I'm not going to go into details. If you want to, choose to. Look up and see if you can find Herod Antipas and uh, or just put Herod at the time of Jesus' trial, and you'll see about this man. He was a very wicked man. He was a very poor ruler. And uh, Jesus uh, called Herod a fox, a liar. He was dishonest. This is the man that killed John the Baptist. You remember the story where John the Baptist had his stepdaughter come in and dance? And he said, you did such a great dance. 
I'll give you up to half the kingdom. Men, I'll give you whatever you want. She goes to her mother who hated John the Baptist because John the Baptist told her she wasn't supposed to be married. And so they said, she came back and said, uh, we want John the Baptist's head on a platter. So this is the same man that killed John the Baptist and put his head on a platter. This is the one they're now sending Jesus to. So this is the second Roman trial that's going to happen. So look what happens. Verse 8. Now Herod was very glad when he saw Jesus. For he had wanted to see him for a long time because he'd been hearing about him and he was hoping to see some sign performed by him. Now, once again, there's like a picture, but there's supposed to be Herod Antipas. There's Jesus. There's the people. They brought him to Herod. Herod was a very wicked, strange man. That's all I'm going to say. He was very, he was a horrible man. Let's just put it that way. And he actually says he was hoping, he wanted to see Jesus because he'd heard about Jesus' miracles and he was hoping that Jesus would perform some kind of sign for him. And he questioned him at some length, but he answered him nothing. Now I want you to understand that when Jesus came before this man, Jesus never said a word. Herod said, hey, how about doing a sign? Jesus would, how about doing this? Are you king of the Jews? He would never answer him. Now, all the, the religious leaders are making all these statements, but he won't answer. Listen, he, he won't even talk to Herod Antipas. Now, Jesus talked to Pilate, but he won't talk to this man. And look what it goes on to say. He questioned him at length, but he answered him nothing. And the chief priest and the scribes were standing there accusing him vehemently. They were just saying how horrible he was and all of those things. So what's Herod going to do? Look at Herod's response, and Herod's response was this, to make fun of Jesus. Verse 11, and Herod with his soldiers and mocking him with contempt, uh, and with contempt, mocking him, dressed him in a gorgeous robe and sent him back to Pilate. So he said, oh, so you think you're a king? Okay, here's what I'll do. And they made fun of him, and he got this really expensive robe and put it on Jesus and sent him back to Pilate. Now, what he knew is when he got back to Pilate, Pilate would get the robe because it's a really expensive robe. And so what basically Herod is doing is giving Pilate a gift and sending Jesus back. Notice how the verse ends, uh, how this little section ends, verse 12. Now when Herod and Pilate, now Herod and Pilate became friends with one another that very day, for before they had been enemies with each other. See, they didn't get along. Herod Antipas thought he was a big-time ruler. Pontius Pilate was the governor of Judea, where Jerusalem is. So they were actually in conflict with each other a lot of times. After this day, they became friends because Herod would say, well, he sent this man to me. And Pilate would say, he gave me a nice looking robe. And so they became friends after this. So now we've seen Jesus. He was sent three times before the Jews, once to Pilate, now to Herod, and now he's going back to Pilate. Look at at verse 13. Pilate summoned the chief priest. And the, uh, Pilate summoned the chief priest and the rulers and the people. And he said to them, you brought this man to me as one who incites the people to rebellion. I found nothing wrong. I want you to see this. So now they brought Jesus back to Pilate. All the crowd, all the religious leaders, they're all out there. And they're just calling for Jesus to be put to death. And in verse 14, it says, you brought this man to me as one who incites the people to rebellion. And behold, having examined him before you, I found no guilt in this man regarding the charges which you made against him. No, nor has Herod, for he sent him back to us, and behold, nothing deserving to death has been done. He's saying this, if Herod thought he had done something wrong, Herod would have killed him. See, Herod has no problem killing people. So Pilate actually says, if Herod had found him doing something wrong, he would have killed him. So I've seen him, Herod saw him, he's come back to me, we found nothing wrong, and so the very best thing to do, uh, uh, just let him go. 
And, and notice verse 16. Therefore, I will punish him and release him. Now, I talked about this in the first service. If you thought about this, if he's done nothing wrong, why would you punish him, right? Why would you punish him? If, if they brought him there and Pilate says, I find nothing wrong, Pilate says, but I'll, you know, I'll scourge him and stuff like that, and then we'll let him go. Why would you do that? And so Pilate says this. Now, Pilate's going to make a mistake. Because what Pilate could do right now is just say, everybody clear out. You're gone. Get out of here. That's what he could do. He could do that. But that's not what he does. He makes a mistake. Watch. It said, verse 17, Now he, Pilate, was obligated to release to them at the feast one prisoner. Now, Pilate has declared him not guilty, let him go, but he puts himself in the middle of the problem. How? Because a custom Pilate had with the Jews. Look what it says. He was obligated, he had this custom that he would release a prisoner. Now, let's get this. Let's go back to Matthew. Matthew 27, look at verse 15. This gives us more details. It says, now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the people any one prisoner who they wanted. Now, I want you to understand that Pilate, I guess trying to be a nice guy, every year at Passover, he would release a Jewish prisoner because they put him in jail all the time. And so at Passover, he would come out and say, I'm going to be really nice to you again, and I'm going to release to you any prisoner you want to release. And so they did it. Now, this is about the year 32, 33. He's been the governor since 26, and he's the governor to 36. So he's been doing this for seven or eight years. And so probably every year he comes out and he says to the Jews, I'm going to release a prisoner for you. Instead of letting Jesus go, he says, I'm going to be real nice. I'm going to let go any prisoner you want to. Because he figures they want Jesus to be let go. Because he already knows that Jesus is really popular. That the regular people love Jesus. That Jesus healed people. Jesus did miracles. Jesus was famous for being a great teacher and a rabbi and all these things. And so Pilate says, listen, I'm going to say to them, we're going to let somebody go. And they'll all say, Jesus. And he'll go, okay, good. And then I'm through with the problem. But we're going to see what happens. So in verse 15, it says, Now the governor was accustomed to release for the people any one prisoner whom they wanted. That's what they want. Now look at verse 16. At that time, they were holding a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. Now, we know that notorious has an idea. It's sort of like being infamous, you know. It's, it, he was famous, but he was famous because he was bad. The best that we can understand that he had, the Bible tells us that he had been a robber, that he was a murderer, he'd killed somebody, and that he helped lead an insurrection against the Roman government. So he is in jail because he killed somebody, because he stole things, and because he was in rebellion against the Roman government. So they, he's supposed to be put to death. In fact, probably this day, there are going to be at least three people crucified, two robbers, and maybe this guy Barabbas, so there'd be three robbers, would be killed on this day. That's what's supposed to happen. So he says to them, he says, um, the, there was a notorious uh, person called Barabbas. And, and so watch what happens. And, and of course, it's a negative aspect there when he says it. So, so when the people gather together, Pilate says to them, whom do you want to be released for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? Now, I want you to notice something. If you've never seen this before, the name Barabbas 
actually means son of the father. And Jesus, of course, is the son of the father. Barabbas Abba is the Greek word, uh, is the Aramaic word for son. Um, excuse me, for father. And Bar is the word for son, so he's the son of the father. So his name means son of the father. And Jesus, of course, is the son of the father. So you've got a choice between two sons of the father. One is Barabbas. One is Jesus. What a choice. One is a robber and a murderer. The other is the son of God. So Pilate says, okay, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to say you got a choice. Do you want Barabbas? Do you want Jesus? Everybody will shout, we want Jesus, and we'll let Jesus go, and I'll be out of this problem. Why would he think that? Because verse 18 says, he knew. Pilate knew that they had handed, because of envy, they had handed him over. Pilate knew that the people loved Jesus. The religious leaders hated Jesus. He knew that they brought Jesus because they hated him. He figures that if he offers it to the crowd, the crowd will cheer for Jesus. So he says, I I got it made. I figured this thing out. But he didn't. Because look at the next verse. While he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent to him a message saying, have nothing to do with this righteous man. For last night, I suffered greatly in a dream because of him. Now we're going to get to just a second when he turns to the people and what they say. But while he's sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sends him a message. Now before we get to that, let's talk about something. What what do we mean he's sitting on the judgment seat? It's the bema. It's the Greek word B-E-M-A. It means a rewarding stand. The judgment seat or the bema seat is where there is rewards. And this king would sit, or king or ruler would sit on what they call bema, B-E-M-A, and if there was, like, if somebody was going to be honored, they would bring them by and they would honor them. If there was going to be a judgment given, they would give the judgment. And so the word actually means reward stand. Now, here's something that's amazing for all of us that we know, that all of us who know Jesus Christ as Savior, one day we will stand before Jesus Christ at a bema seat, a reward stand. This has nothing to do with salvation. This has to do with rewards. And I want you to look at this verse. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. The word judgment there is bima. The bima seat of Christ so that each one, each one of us may be recompensed. That means given back, rewarded for the deeds in the body. The things we've done while we're on this earth according to what he has done whether good, this word means worthless, whether good or worthless. One day... As a believer, you will stand before Jesus Christ to be rewarded for how you live. Now, this has nothing to do with salvation. Salvation is a gift. Salvation is by faith. Salvation is not by how good you live or anything like that. When you put your faith in Christ, you are saved and you're saved forever. This is as a believer. How did you live? Did you use your gifts, talents, and abilities? When you stand before Jesus Christ, what will he say? What do we want him to say? Well done, good and faithful servant. That's what we want. And so we're going to stand before the Bema seat one of these days. We see it over here also in Romans 14, 11, and 12. As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall give praise to God. So each one of us will give an account of himself to God. This has nothing to do with salvation. That has nothing to do with eternal life. It has to do with rewards. And so I just wanted to remind you that because he's sitting on the Bema seat to make this decision. And so notice what it says here. While he was sitting on the judgment seat, the Bema seat, his wife sent him a message saying, this is Pilate's wife, have nothing to do with that righteous man, that's Jesus. For last night, I suffered greatly in a dream because of him. What in the world does that mean? She says, I had a bad dream about Jesus, about this Jesus guy, and and, 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 and everything's messed up here, and so I'm just telling you, honey, don't have anything to do with him. Let him go. He's a righteous man. Don't get mixed up into this. 
And we don't know whether the dream she had was from God somehow or whether she just had a bad dream and she's warning him. She's basically saying, have nothing to do with this righteous man because I had this, this bad dream and messed everything up. Well, he's expecting to say, okay, I have two people for you. One is Barabbas, one is this Jesus. Uh, I'm going to release one just like I always do. Which one do you want? Do you want Barabbas? Do you want Jesus? He's expecting everybody to shout Jesus. Look what happened. Verse 20, but the chief priest and the elders persuaded the crowds to ask for Barabbas and to put Jesus to death. They want to ask for Barabbas. The chief priest said, ask for Barabbas, put Jesus. So the crowd's going to shout, release Barabbas and kill Jesus. You know, you got to be careful on the crowds, right? Everybody says the majority is right, and the majority is not usually right. Truth is. And so here's this crowd. All of a sudden, the religious leaders went through the crowd and said, ask for Barabbas, ask for Barabbas. And the crowd just does whatever they say. Have you noticed when people get into crowds, they do things they would never do any other time? I mean, we've seen it on TV now in all these, some of these cities. Crowds are just destroying things. People are destroying things. I think in the book of Acts, in, in the book of Acts, in the city of Ephesus, because Paul had been there, there was a big issue, and so all these people ran into the, to the, to the assembly area. It was like a thousand of them, more than that, and they were shouting out for two hours, great is Diana of the Ephesians. And they were shouting it out. And it says in the Bible that many of the people there didn't even know why they were there. And this is what happens when you get into crowds and you've got to be careful. And so all of a sudden, everybody in the crowd is saying, release Barabbas and kill Jesus. Verse 21, and, and uh, the governor, he said, the governor said to them, which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. And then he said to them, then what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? And they all said, crucify him. Now, I want you to notice something. He asked the great question, what shall I do with Jesus the Christ? And this is a question that everybody's got to answer. What are you going to do about Jesus? See, the truth is, every human being has got to make a decision about Jesus. Are they going to put their faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior to have eternal life? Or are they going to reject in Jesus Christ? There are people that, when you say to them, what do you think about Jesus? Well, they say, I don't need him. I don't need anything. I don't believe about God. I don't believe about anything. They're making a choice and a decision to reject Jesus Christ. There are many who put their faith in Jesus Christ and believe that he gives eternal life. And they have eternal life. And that's a question that every human being is going to have to make a decision of. The great truth is this, that he that believes is not condemned, but he that believes not is condemned already because they have not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So every human being, you know, I, I mentioned this in the first service, because I knew everybody in the first service, and I mentioned this, of course, in the second service, and I know most all of you, but there are people watching on, on Facebook Live. What are you going to do with Jesus Christ? Have you trusted in Him and Him alone to give you eternal life? Or are you trusting in something else? He is the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. He indeed is the Savior of the world, and whoever believes in him will never perish and have everlasting life. Right where you're sitting, at home or here, you can trust in Jesus. You can say, Lord, I understand Jesus died and rose again. I'm trusting in him to give me eternal life. He is the Savior.
Well, here's what happens. They all begin to shout it out, crucify him, crucify him. And he says, what evil has he done? In verse 22, they, they're shouting out, and, and what, what, what evil has he done? And the crowd is beginning to say, crucify him, crucify him. By the way, the way it's written in Greek when it says they were shouting out and they were saying it, was, they were saying it over and over. And so in verse 23, he says, what evil has he done? And they kept shouting all the more. Crucify him, crucify him. They kept shouting more and more, putting to death. Pilate knew that he had done nothing wrong, and now he's caught because he said, I'll release anyone you want, and now they want Barabbas. What is he going to do with Jesus? He's afraid of the people. Listen, how many, relig- how, many, how many politicians do you see that are afraid of the people and they say what they believe based on what people want them to believe? And they have no character whatsoever because if they think all the people want them to believe this, they'll say, I'm for that. And if they, the people want them to do this, they'll be for that. They have no character at all. We've got to be men and women of character who stand strong for what is right. And here we see Pilate. He's just melting to the people. Because, and, and let me just say this. From a human standpoint, we could say, this is the worst thing we've ever seen. Here's a guy that never did anything wrong. Here's Pilate who was going to try to let him go. He's been found not guilty three straight times, and they're going to end up killing him, and we're going to see these people are saying, all this. this is a horrible thing. So from a human standpoint, this is a horrible thing. But from the God standpoint, this is a great thing. Because God so loved the world that he gave his son Jesus. This is God's plan to send Jesus to the cross to die for our sins, to pay for the sins of the world and rise again so that we could have eternal life. So from a human standpoint, this is one of the worst things we've ever seen. From the God standpoint, this is our salvation. This is how our Savior gives to us eternal life when we trust in him because he died and rose again for us. Well, you can't tell from Matthew, but from the Gospel of John, Pilate's so upset, he brings Jesus back in to meet with him by himself. And so he brings Jesus in, and he's asking Jesus questions, and Jesus won't answer him. So he says, what do you mean you don't answer me? Don't you know I have the right to put you to death? And Jesus says, you have no right except which has been given from above. And Pilate got even more scared, it says. And so he doesn't know what to do, so he finally brings Jesus out. And in John 19, they shout out, If you release him, you are no friend of Caesar's. And so he's afraid. So notice what happens. Verse 24, when Pilate saw that he was accomplishing nothing, that a riot was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it to yourself. He saw a riot was starting. All the people were beginning to shout and go wild, and he's got Jesus standing out there, and he doesn't really know what to do with him. And, and, he, and he goes and he washes in front of all the people. He says, I'm going to get a bowl, and I'm washing my hands, and I'm saying, I'm, there's no blood on my hands. I'm not guilty of this. Now, let me just tell you something. I always thought that that was a Roman custom. I thought that a Roman leader could wash his hands, but that's not a Roman custom. That's a Jewish custom. Pilate is actually using a Jewish custom to show the Jewish people that he says, I have no part in this. Look in Deuteronomy. All the elders of that city which is nearest to the slain man shall wash their hands over the heifer whose neck was broken in the valley, and they shall say, our hands did not shed this blood nor did our eyes see it. When they found somebody dead, nobody knew who did it. They would go out there, kill an animal, wash their hands over it, saying, we had nothing to do with this death. Pilate gets a bowl of water in front of all these Jews and says, 
I have nothing to do with this death. Look what the Jews say. And all the people said, verse 25, this blood shall be on us and our children. I can't tell you how many people have taken this verse and used this verse to hate Jewish people. Because this verse, as the Jews say, well, this blood will be on us and our children. And they want to blame the Jewish people for the death of Jesus Christ. You know who's to blame? Every one of us. Jesus died for us. Because we all sin and come short of the glory of God. And Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins. And so it's not one group of people's fault. It's, not, it's every human being that Jesus died for. That's what it's about. Notice the next verse. Then he released Barabbas for them. And after having Jesus scourged, he handed him over to be crucified. Now I want you to think about Barabbas for just a second. Uh, by the way, J- Judas yield to the devil. Peter yield to the flesh. Pilate yield to the crowd. Let's talk about Barabbas for just one second. Picture that you're in that cell. You're Barabbas. You kill somebody. You robbed. You are insurrection against the Roman government. You know this morning, this day, it's now getting light outside. You know that you're going to be crucified that day with two other robbers. So you're a robber, and there are two other robbers that are going to be crucified. You know that. And you're in your cell, and you know you've got just a matter of hours. Crucifixions normally were early in the morning. You hear the soldiers coming. You know they're coming to get you. You know you don't have long to live. They open the door. You stand up, and they say, you're free to go. And you go, what? And they say, somebody else took your place. For every one of us, we all sin and come short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death. And God says, guess what? You're free to go because somebody else took your place. Jesus died for us. I want to show you something. We're all Barabbas. He sinned, we sinned. He was guilty, we're guilty. He was condemned to die, we're condemned to die. He got set free, was not accountable, we're set free. Our sins are not counted against us. They're placed on Christ. The righteous one took his place, the righteous one took our place. The Roman government is satisfied because there's a death. God is satisfied because the payment has been made. He is the satisfactory payment, not for our sins only, but for the sins of the entire world. Barabbas gets to live. We get eternal life when we trust in Jesus Christ as Savior. Just remember, we're all Barabbas. Jesus took our place. And whoever believes in him will never perish. But what do they have? Eternal life. Never forget it. Let me give you some applications. I'll go very quickly through those. What is our choice concerning Jesus Christ? He died on the cross to pay for sins and rose again. Whoever believes in him will never perish. Some people will reject Jesus Christ as Savior, and they'll be separated forever. We know people, and we have a great opportunity and privilege to tell anybody we can that whoever believes in Jesus will never perish but have eternal life. There'll be some who trust Jesus Christ and have eternal life and be with Jesus Christ forever, and it comes by faith in Christ. We believe in Jesus for eternal life. Let me be clear on something. You're trusting Christ to give you eternal life. That's the offer. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but get what? Eternal life. The offer is eternal life. God is offering to every person who believes in him eternal life. So never forget that. The second thing I just want you to remember is let's realize that one day we'll stand before the judgment seat of Christ. It's a rewarding stand. It is not for salvation, but for rewards. When you stand before Christ, you want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, we'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ to be rewarded. 
So I hope and pray, I pray for myself, I pray for you, that when we stand there, when we stand before our great Savior, the one who loves us beyond we could imagine, that he'll look at us and he'll say, well done, you did it. You took the gifts, talents, and abilities that I gave you. You took the time that I left you on this earth and you used it for my glory. That's my prayer for me and for you, that when we stand before Jesus, he'll say, well done.